Life is full of personal wins. Whether it's cleaning your house, getting that dream car, or checking off your to-do list, winning at life is a great feeling. And with the State Farm Personal Price Plan, you can keep winning when you create an affordable price just for you by bundling home and auto. So give yourself a round of applause. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash Wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome to the Nerdist Podcast number 545. Well, we added a second show at Comic-Con uh, for Nerdist Podcast. It'll be at 7.30 at the Baboa Theater. So uh, go find tickets for that on the internets. And um, I joined the Oddball Comedy Festival, which is an insane comedy festival that's touring. Uh, I think there's like 20 dates. I'm doing most of them. I'm not doing all of them, but uh, we have uh, a ton, a ton of places that we're going to Tampa and Charlotte and Atlanta and Bristow, Virginia and New York and Pennsylvania and Salt Lake City and Mountain View and Irvine and it, there's it, and the lineup is ridiculous. It is absolutely ridiculous. It's uh, uh, Louis C.K., Sarah Silverman, Aziz, Amy Schumer, Gaffigan, Bill Burr, me. A bunch of other people who are, who, uh, it's insane. The lineup is insane. And the venues are crazy, uh, crazy big. So it's going to be an experience. If you go to oddballfest.com, you can check all the dates and see who all is going to be on uh, what, which shows. And, uh, and please come out. It'll be, it's it's going to be, uh, it's going to be really fun. A little nervous, a little nervous. I mean, it's one thing to do like a, you know, like a club or even a small theater, but to do like amphitheaters, that is a whole different thing. You got to like take your time so your voice hits the back of the place. Oh, it's going to be exciting. So uh, come on out, come on out if you can and see a lot of, uh, see a lot of great comedy. I'd like to thank for sponsoring this episode of the Nerdist Podcast, World of Tanks Blitz. World of Tanks Blitz is a mobile version of the award-winning MMO, uh, World of Tanks, which has over 85 million players worldwide. So it's a lot like the PC version, but they've specifically optimized it uh, for mobile gameplay on iPhone and iPad. It has amazing reviews. You can get this impressive roster of over 90 tanks. It's really short 7x7 tank battles. There's... The graphics are amazing. Uh, You can create a platoon. You can play with your friends. It's out now. If you go to wotblitz.com slash nerdist, um, you can check it out. And uh, you absolutely should. I mean, if if you're just looking for a a game to play on the fly and be able to go back to, uh, World of Tanks Blitz will uh, take care of the uh, hunger that your brain has to be distracted by fun graphical battle element type situations. So there you go, World of Tank Blitz. Thanks for sponsoring this episode of the Nerdist Podcast, which is Andy Serkis, who uh, you may know as Gollum, of course, but also he uh, he was Caesar in uh, Dawn of Land of the Apes, which is out now. Um, he's done amazing things with motion capture, but also uh, he directs and he, does, he plays music and he writes and he, he's just... 
He really is, I'm going to use the term, a renaissance man. And usually I cringe when I hear that term because I'm like, oh yeah, sure. But he really is. Uh, and really interesting. And uh, another great accent this week. We had Alfred Molina last week and now Andy Circus. So we are a horn aplenty of fantastic accents. And I really, really, really enjoy talking to him. So here is the uh, Nerds Podcast number 545 with Andy Circus. Now entering Nerdist.com. Are we doing it already? Yeah, yeah. Open it up. Oh, yeah. This is... Um, we just started this recently. This is our guest book. So we decided to start having... <laughs> we decided to start having guests sign this, and then when it fills up, we're going to auction it off for charity. We've got Morgan Freeman here. There's Larry King, Tom Cruise. It's good. It's a good book. Good book. It's an easy read. And soon, hopefully, we'll have the name Andy Circus in here. <laughs> we'll somewhere. see how this goes, Chris. It, what, yeah, what if he's like... That, so this is essentially our audition for you to sign our guest uh, okay, book. Yeah, yeah. So if and this goes... you well, and us, too. You, yeah. you decide at the end if you want to. Yeah, that's right. Wait, well, maybe, maybe we're auditioning you, Andy Circus. How about... No, we're not. We're not. No, the balance of power is very heavily shifted in your favor. Um, I don't know if you remember this, but I moderated the Hobbit panel... What? Was it two years, two years ago? And uh, I, had a, I had a really amazing... It, first of all, it was really fun. But of course, I felt so bad because, you know, one of the first questions is like, do the voice, do the voice. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. oh, no. And so as a moderator, I'm in this... I, my, I, my emotions are split because I go... This poor guy for the, you know for fourteen years you know people are like do the voice do the voice and and you obliged but then the other side of me is like I, but I know that six thousand people here are gonna be mad if they don't you know it's like so I just know that I knew that it was a, that it was an ask well, but you were very sweet about it and you and you oblige and the audience of course went absolutely crazy um, but my experience. You know, on the panel, I, I think this is hilarious. Ian McKellen, very charming, very charming on the panel. Afterwards, we're all taking the picture afterwards, and I was like, you know, it was so great to be here because I thought, oh, I got an in, you know, like an in. I go, I was just, you know, you're so amazing, you're such a big fan. And he didn't even look at me, and he just walked away, and he goes, right. And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> but I think that's okay because it's Ian McKellen. He's not wrong. He's not it wrong. was a pleasure to meet him. It was. He was just confirming your, your ideas. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we're here to we're here to talk about you and your um, pretty insane career. Not just not just with um, acting and motion capture, but directing. And you know, I also read that you studied graphic design, and there's just all these different artistic disciplines. Yeah, that I just sort of see you as a guy who just likes to play in a lot, fuck around, basically. He's <laughs> just like a guy who likes to fuck around a lot. He loves it different ways. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. So, tell me a little bit about, are you hearing Andy okay? Are we, are we started? We started, Andy. Oh, is that on? Yeah, I know. It oh, doesn't cool. feel like it. It oh, feels okay. very informal. Okay. Well, that, oh, thank you so much. Kyle, I know you just got back here, but it just felt to me like you weren't really ready to settle into that chair. Nice can you please work them hams? Can you grab my laptop? It's just on the table in the dressing room. Yeah, no okay, thanks. You're very nice. Take these just in case. Oh, yeah. so you want to come back again. Good catch. Points for you. Get out. All right, I love them. 
Um, we got to think of something else for him to get once he gets back. I don't. This is nice not having him in the room. Just throw like a star tantrum and just so like I need a fucking banana. And <laughs> yeah. then when he gets back, we'll send. It. We'll just keep sending him out. <laughs> are you okay with? Are you I'm okay over with that. that? <laughs> um, so I read that um, you grew up traveling a lot. That you spent a lot of time in Iraq. Is that? Did yeah. you grow up? You grew up in Iraq. Well, I, I didn't grow up in Iraq. I spent. I spent. My dad. My dad was Iraqi. He passed away two years ago. Uh, he. He and my elder sisters uh, grew up in Baghdad. Actually, my mum. She went over there to be a teacher. He was a doctor there, and uh, I went over there for holidays, like for some holidays every every year until I was about eleven years old. So I, I just spent a considerable amount of time there. So what was the what was the culture like at the time, and what what were you seeing, and what was the experience? It was the most. You know, I spent a lot of time all over the Middle East. Actually, we went to. Syria and to Beirut and I spent time in Lebanon and, and just you know just had the most amazing holidays there really you know great people you know such a lot going on it was uh, you know and I've got lots of relatives over there as well in, in, in particularly in Iraq just went to lots of historical sites to Damascus and to Babylon and to all of that you know growing up seeing all these amazing kind of places was just was just in- incredible so uh, when you were in school was it in your in history class was it was it was it easier to learn the stuff about like historical events because you had actually seen and yeah, been to these I places. Yeah, I guess it was. I mean, I was fascinated. I was I was massively into archaeology as a kid. When I was about seven years old, mm. I, I knew all about the, the Tutankhamun, and I mean, at that time it was the, the big exhibition had just moved, come over. It was in the oh, early seventies, wow. and uh, you know, seeing King Tutankhamun. At, uh, um, I was just massively into Egyptology and to all of that. You know, the Middle East was, was I felt very, I did feel very uh, connected to it. Well, it's funny because when we go over to England or Europe, I think as Americans, we go, look at all the history here. Yeah. But then for you going over to the Middle East going, wow, yeah. look at all the history. It goes far, far, far deeper than, than what you guys we're used to seeing. I guess. I mean, I mean, you know, we used to do things like you know, go up the River Tigris, and there's a, there's a particular way of cooking fish there, which you, which is a kind of you know, you, you literally catch the fish and then you stake them out. And I just remember having these incredible experiences of camp, you know, just yeah, camping out in the desert and all of that kind of stuff. And it was, I mean, that was my childhood. So it was, it was, wow. but it was it was great. It was really exciting, really, cool. really, really exciting. Watching watching cinema on you know, in out, outdoor cinema at the place called the Alwia Club in the middle of Baghdad, and and. Uh, you know, watching lizards crawling across the screen and just thinking, gosh, this is and watching Bud, Bud Ab, Abbott and Lucas Dello movies and, and lizards <laughs> kind of crawling across the screen. Yeah, I mean, that was that was that was the sort of upbringing I had. Wow. And do you think that because you do you think that this sort of um, cross cultural mashup that was your childhood <laughs> and, and ultimately is your genealogy? Do you think that that informed in any way why you like to do so many different things because you like to just mash up a lot of different things? I think that's probably is something to do with it. Yeah. I mean, my mum was, was uh, or yeah, well, she isn't a teacher anymore. She taught uh, disabled kids and um, she was, she was quite artistic. She liked, you know, she liked painting and, and we often put on little theater shows at home in our garage. We, I remember doing all the like Grimm's fairy tales with my sisters and, but you know, we used to put these crazy plays on in our garage together. And, and I mean, I was, I was, I was very much, you know, alongside the kind of Egyptology and uh, stuff when I was young, I, I discovered a love for drawing and, and, and painting. So, so that's what sort of got me going. Um, but I've, I think, yeah, I, and, and I also play, played instrument, musical instruments, and you know, I, I think you're right. In fact, now I'm talking about it, I am now realizing that I am 
the classic jack of all trades, <laughs> master of diddly squat. <laughs> now, do you think that idea is important? Because I, I like to do a lot of different stuff too, and sometimes I go, I don't know if I'm really, a, I'm not really a mass, you know, like I'm, there's not one discipline. But then I think. Yeah, but I'm also not bored, you know? Like, is it, is it fun to get to that point when you master something? And it's like, well, what the fuck do I do now? <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, true. Well, when, when I get there, I'll, I'll let you know. And then, but it's, <laughs> it's no, I, I think variety for me, it, it, well, actually, it's a realization. Because then I went to, you know, I went to college. I went to, to study graphic design and visual arts. And I, I thought, this is absolutely what I want to do. I know I want to do this. Uh, equally, I was into mountaineering. And I love, I, went, I actually went to Lancaster University because that happened to be near the Lake District. And the Lake District has got fantastic rock climbs. So, so it, it, but, I, but I thought, this is, I want to spend my life behind a drawing board designing uh, and, uh, you know, creating stuff. But actually, when I got to Lancaster, I realized that in the first year, you had to do a, a subsidiary course, uh, you know, another and I really hadn't checked it out properly. Um, and, and, uh, and there happened to be a theatre studies course, which I thought, well, that sounds vaguely artistic. You know, I can maybe design some sets or posters or something creative, you know. And then, and then I started getting involved in the performing and acting, and, and then it was literally, I did one play that just went bang overnight. This is what I want to do. I want to become oh, wow. an actor. And that was a real epiphany. And, but I never stopped sort of... Um, you know the appetite for create for creating shows and light you know lighting and directing and all of that all of that sort of stuff was still milling around but but I really did then focus in on on, on acting for for the about the next um yeah the next ten ten years where I was you know I, went, I, I then got a job in a local what would be your kind of stock theatre which is our repertory theatre my first job was um doing uh, I was in part of a company that did I did fourteen plays back to back rehearsing during the day performing at night and, and just got a taste for characters really and evolving characters and having to make decisions about creating characters very quickly um, so yeah I mean and all this but all the, all the other stuff was still still sort of around music music was very important to me I was big really big into jazz I played in bands I was a tenor saxophonist and and then I I see I mean I suppose I realized later on in life that actually it doesn't really matter what you do as long as you're doing it you know it doesn't it actually you're still telling a story of some kind you're still sharing something with an audience you're still connecting in some way it it actually all amounts to them very much the same thing really so what is it when you're when you're looking at a character for instance how do you what are some of the questions that you ask and how do you sort of find whatever you think the essence of that thing is? Especially when you especially when you're doing rupture where you don't you really just don't have time. It's like, well we're doing this tonight, so yeah. you, you really gotta figure yeah, it yeah, out. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean I suppose I was lucky enough to when I started uh, the direct one of the director that I first worked with was a guy called Jonathan Petherbridge and he you know it was quite um it was and, and and the time I suppose it was, you know, in the eighties, Thatcher's Britain, it was uh, it was quite a polarized society and I, I, it was quite a political theatre that I was involved in, I suppose. And I suppose um, I've always, when I approach characters, or you know, from from my education as an actor, was always your job as an actor is to is to go out and research and gather the information, bring it back, put it together, 
make sense of it and share it with an audience and try and have some, you know, try and change the world in some way. I mean, that really, in a basic form, is, is I always saw acting as a service, you know, it's, a, it's it, and that really still holds true till today. I still think of it as, you know, we're lucky, we're very privileged where we get to experience all these different lives and uh, uh, become different things and, and empathise with different belief systems and inhabit different worlds and characters. But actually, it's for that privilege it's your job to come back and then share that with an, with an audience and um, you know make them see something about or respond to the, the human condition in, in different ways so, so, so it's always had a, pur- a purpose I suppose is what I'm saying sure you know, and do you find that when you're I mean I don't know if this is if this is getting too serious about about the craft of acting, but is it? But when, uh, <laughs> Never we can get far more serious. About the craft. <laughs> but when you're sort of digging around these characters, particularly if it's a character that you don't identify with right off the bat, but you start obviously you have to you have to adopt their point of view, you have to empathize with them in some way, even if it's a character that you you as Andy wouldn't empathize with. Yeah. So um, do you learn things about yourself in that process, or do you kind of? I don't know. Has that, has that done anything for you in terms of being an empathetic human being? Yeah, I mean, there's there's, there's kind of the flip side of being an empathetic human being and a, and a sort of grasshopper that changes what he or, he or she thinks is is a fine one when you're an actor. You know what I mean? Because you can't actually go back to what you were before you played a character. I believe you can't sort of if you've been through that experience, you you can't sort of retract all of those things that go up to make you what you are today because you've you've bought into them in some way so so it, it, i mean i'll give you an example i, I did a, i did a, a mike lee film called uh, career girls and mike lee's process for, for as an actor is is very all immersive totally immersive you work for months researching characters and working on characters and and you don't know what your there's no script you don't know what your role is going to be in the movie you're not allowed to talk to any of the other to, to other actors oh wow uh, you only um, you, you you end up listening to music you know being with people that are about your the character that you're going to play in the movie you don't it, it, you're totally cut off from the, your all your frames of reference and and I was playing this character that was um a futures broker so I went and worked in the city in London for, for a while and, and uh, you know in a kind of Wolf of Wall Street way um, you know went you know learnt to trade learnt to you know and there was just months and months and months of just being with this group of people that I almost forgot what the outside world was like and and then you come out the other side of something like that and you I never wanted to go into it I just thought this is not a world I'm really that interested in it's certainly not me as a person but they became people I got to know and like and hung out with and but you know and they treated me very well and and you sort of think well people at the end of the day People are people, you know. People, people are. You go in with a certain amount of prejudice, and actually, once you start to get to know people, they are as equal and varied as as, as, as any. And and uh, you know, it's it's a it's a life lesson. That is a real life lesson. Well, I guess it also has to do with you know when you see when you see someone, there's you know there's maybe one or two layers of dimension if you if you don't really understand what it is that they do but then when you actually start asking questions and get to know them as a human being then it just starts adding all this dimension where you're like oh because the the superficial frames of reference you don't necessarily have a way into because you don't you're a performer and you're a cre- you know like so for you why the fuck would I want to trade you know yeah right but i'm sure that you because of just your process probably found ways to go, oh, okay, so this is analogous to this, and this is, oh, I see how this works. Exactly. That's exactly right. And, and uh, you know, the, 
at the end of the day, you you sort of part of you kind of goes, well, uh, my job here is to is to assemble all this and make sense of it and and uh, you know shape this into into something which is which is going to again you know tell tell you know it, it function as a character in a story and and it's not. Uh, uh, you know, you're not just living. You're not living it for no reason. <laughs> What's the most difficult form of storytelling for you? Like, what do you find to be the most challenging between music and performance and directing and you know, or mocap or or um, or writing or what? What is it to you that is the the most difficult? Oh man, um, I mean, I, I have written and I've written a, a few s- screenplays. Um, I, I I actually really love the process of writing, although. Um, it's by far the most taxing, <laughs> by far the most taxing thing because because you know being on your own and it, it is great at times, but it, but equally it's 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 very very difficult. Um, but but um, I don't know. I, I think they're all they're all. I, 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 you just realise that. Uh, well, I, I just realise that they're all they're all so the, there's so many layers to all of these different disciplines that that um, there's a certain amount of you're only ever going to get so far in, in, in the time that we have on this planet. There is only... I'm constantly worried about the lack of time, I suppose. Oh, yeah. I'm constantly worried about the lack of time. It's um, funny. You don't uh, worry about it when you're 20. You're like, ah, fuck. Well, this is the never-ending pasta bowl of time. Because it is at that point. It is at that point. And then, you know, and then as the, as the years start to tick on a little bit, and you're like, shit. I, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Well, even, I wanted to do that. And I, yeah. and I really wanted to do that. And, and I'm going to do that. And... and uh, yeah, so I mean, directing is really where everything's focused at the moment for me. You know, very much so, and the Imaginarium and the creation of that. Uh, I don't know if you know about this. I know about the Imaginarium. It's basically this, this like um, cre- this, this creative enclave of yeah, yeah that uh, basically uh, I assume to sort of to foster creativity. Basically, right? that, that's exactly what it was. I mean, I had such an amazing time down in New Zealand working with Peter Jackson and and and, and all the gang, and you know, this it's such a, a brilliant. Um, you know, melting pot of creativity down there, which is which is very much um, uh, has a can-do attitude to it, and you know, I, I, the, the British film industry love it, though I do, and you know, I'm part of it, but it's it's so cottage industry and so small and small. You know, I don't know how we've got to this place where it it it. it, it, it the, the vision that that the, you know the years of David Lean and and the big big expansive directors that really told big stories uh, seemed to at a certain point um, you know a few years ago uh, actually it's getting a bit better now but it but it sort of had closed down become very myopic and it was very much about telling small stories of two or three people in a room and and. Uh, you know, I'd had such an incredible experience down in New Zealand. I thought, well, the, all these brilliant minds are coming together and and uh, and just trying to find solutions rather than seeing the problems in everything. And I'd like to import a bit of that back home. And because uh, performance capture, motion capture, it was virtually unknown in the UK. Really, um, there were a couple of drive for hire studios who make you know good businesses, but but it wasn't sort of creatively led in the way that I'd experienced it. And and and. So the Imaginarium was a, was really an, uh, an idea about creating a digital creative lab for furthering the art and craft of performance capture, but also you know bringing together writers, directors, concept artists, and being able to say so take a lump of digital clay, mould it into a in, into a shape, and get it up on the stage and 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 played by an actor. Um, uh, you know, uh, and 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 uh, it'd be like a, cre- a creature workshop for the digital age, really. But then, but then beyond that, it was to service other people's films and video games and characters in their films and video games. But also then to to to, to direct and to create 
our own we've got a production entity as well so we're producing our own material and but I, I love being around and I really I mean I loved my student days and I love the energy of students and I love the, the now that we've got we've got lots of kind of interns and young people coming through from various different colleges like you know Bradford and uh, and Bournemouth Art College and um, uh, and uh, all the film colleges who are you know they're starting to do they're, they're starting to do kind of mocap degree modules and that's kind of quite amazing really um and and so we so that we give them we sort of build bridges to industry for them and and uh, it's just a really cool feel you know it's, it's yeah, yeah it's kind of where's the nice. where where is the uh, because obviously you know stage acting is a little bit bigger because you have to convey to people who are you know sitting farther back and you need to i, I would assume film seems a little more like well you have to be, your performance is a little more subtle because you're 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 this bit you're enormous on a screen and so the more you the more you emote, the more it kind of hits people in the face. But with with this performance capture, it sort of seems like, well, you have to be very careful about every movement. But it does have to have – it probably has to be a notch above if you were just you know doing live action on camera because you have to give the – you have to give the, uh, the digital artist something to play with, I would imagine. Yeah, I mean, it's a really good question, that. And, and of course, people deal with it in different ways. And, and actually, it says a lot. It says really more about the actor who puts on a motion capture suit. Um, you know, I, I've always said, and it's true in, in my opinion, that, that um, you know, I, I've never approached a role. If I was playing a live, a, role, a live action role in a film, I wouldn't necessarily approach it any differently than playing a performance captured role uh, in the sense that it's still about putting yourself under the microscope it's still about the emotional truth of the character you build the character in the same way you find a physicality a, uh, you know a psychology and, and you embody the role uh, and I would do that if I was playing you know if I was putting on a costume and getting it going on set and or on stage and, and with a performance captured role you're doing that essentially without any uh, any aid from costume and makeup or you know make sure you've got the right shoes or you know no, none of that applies but but you're still using your acting chops and imagination to to create to create the role and the difference is i mean look if you're playing a a character like an ape or or you know golem or or something like that which has a particular physicality yes there's a there's a there's um you know a lot of work that and research that needs to and training that needs to go into to creating that that physicality um but but you're not in in terms of the in terms of the the level the performance level or the pitching you can't let the energy drop below a certain level because they're because because the, the cameras it's just performance capture cameras are basically another set of cameras that are filming you they're, they're, but so so you can't do any less than be truthful right but or you, but you and you and and you know the size of the of the physicality is really uh it just has to remain truthful so 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 that's you know it's 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 a curious one and you, when you film performance capture you can either film it i mean if you're in a motion capture volume you can either film it conventionally with coverage so you know what the size of frame is that you're working to or you can just play out the entire scene and then put camera coverage in afterwards and and some actors like to work that way because it feels a little bit more like a theatrical piece and and certain directors like to do that because they like to let the scenes run on in their entirety or or you can shoot it much more like conventional coverage um and you know, in certain uh, uh, in certain scenes, in certain moments, it does help to know that you're in a close-up. And in certain scenes, it does, you know, you just want to be free to play the character. So it's a, it is a sort of 
in a rather roundabout way of saying it is a sort of hybrid it is um it is both it has the energy and the muscularity of a theatrical performance but but the um the stillness of a of a, of a film performance yeah but you don't have the um you can't really lean on anything in terms of you know if you're doing a period piece if you're on a set and it's live action well, you're in wardrobe and you can look around and it's like, oh, there's a bunch of old-timey stuff here and that other person is dressed that way. And so it's really, it's the environment is inherently immersive in that way. I mean, obviously, there's you know there's a crew on the other side staring at you. But but ultimately, there are some ways... But with with this type of performance, it, it just seems like it's it's all in your brain. Like, it's just well, all in your brain. It isn't, it isn't. I mean, look, I mean, when we were shooting Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, you know, now we shot on location. Every single scene was shot on location. So, so you, you're, you know, you're acting opposite your fellow actors. The only thing is that you're not dressed in an ape costume. You're wearing a, you know, a suit with marker with markers on, and and that that is the only difference. Um, you're not wearing any sort of prosthetic makeup. You're, you're, you're in many ways. I mean, if you compare to what, what we what we went through on Dawn of the Planet of the Apes compared to the original Planet of the Apes movies, um, you know, they had layers of latex, <laughs> yeah. very thick. Well, they they had to move their faces like crazy yeah. to, I mean, to get the mouths. Revolutionary yeah. makeup for its time, but actually, you know, I I, I read and heard, you know. Saw sort of documentary footage of Kim Hunter and Roddy McDowell talking about all all they could do was to keep their faces moving to make those masks <laughs> seem like they had life in you know whereas whereas we can play the internal emotions of a scene or, or you know very subtly totally I mean a particular character like Caesar who's quite internal in many ways it's more about the the stillness and the, and, and and what he's thinking and feeling rather than showing so so and and that's what we can do so yeah so if you combine that with being you know, we shot this uh, in the rainforest in, uh, outside of Vancouver, and and then you know, in 100% humidity in New Orleans, <laughs> uh, the, where the eight community set was built for this, and uh, it, it was it's as live as as you know, and as real as as, as acting with your fellow actors in a live action you movie. You don't have to sit in makeup for four hours, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Which is a nice. You've really kind of managed to carve out a nice little niche there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so, um, what uh, what other kinds of things are you? So when you're in, well, you're working on this, or you're working on. I mean, how many years were you in New Zealand? Like, what, what was your? Did you figure out what the entire country was? <laughs> well, I had I, I had seven birthdays down there, so oh, um, <laughs> uh, put it that way. Um, I, well, uh, look, I started in early 2000, and the you know we we finished the Hobbit shoot, and the, my part of, of directing the second unit, of finishing that on the Hobbit was 2011. So, oh my god, 2011. I mean that's that's, yeah. that's you know no oh I can't remember yeah so I can't even remember no we started in two thousand eleven so two thousand twelve so it was twelve years of uh, uh, over the course of twelve years I mean obviously I was back in England and back and forth I mean but, that's yeah. you know I I know, I know you just I mean you know obviously you look at that as one piece of your life like oh well that's just one job one piece of my life that went on for twelve years but. To most people, if someone said, oh, I've been doing this for 12 years, you'd be like, Jesus Christ, yeah. that's a long time. <laughs> that's your career. You're a master yeah. at, this one, at this one thing. But really, it's, it's, just, it's bizarre that, particularly in this industry, that you know, these jobs are like mobile homes, basically. It's like, well, this is just one little piece. I mean, what are you doing down there besides that during this time? Well, I mean, you know, 
it was kind of like I'd learned such an enormous amount, and and we were sort of building a, me- a methodology with performance capture because it was relatively unknown at the time. And 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 when I'd gone down there originally, it was to play. You know, my first call for my agent was Andy. They're doing this film with Lord of the Rings down in New Zealand. Is this is to do a voice of an animated character? It's three weeks' work. You know, <laughs> <laughs> is there any chance it's going to be twelve years' work? None. Uh, and I actually uh, said, to my, I said yeah. to to my agent, Oh God, look, there must be a dozen good roles in that movie. Can you not get me a decent part? <laughs> yeah. You know, and. Um, <laughs> And they said, well, it's Gollum. And I was, and I was like, oh, Gollum, Gollum's a really good role. And how come it's only three weeks? And how come it's, you know, anyway, when I, when I eventually met Peter and, uh, you know, and we started talking about it, Peter and Fran, Walsh, and we met and immediately got on. I mean, we really did immediately get on. Um, he just said, look, I want to start employing this thing. It's, uh, I'm not exactly sure how it's going to work, but there's this thing called motion capture and we, we can sort of capture what you're, you're doing, but I don't know if it's going to work. And, but I, just want, and I want you to play Gollum, and I want you to be on set and play opposite the guys who are playing Frodo and Sam. And you know, the, the, really, the key thing was that he want, he didn't want to have them act against the tennis ball on a stick for an animated character that was later going to be put in because sure. Gollum drives all of the scenes. He's, you know, he's it's a they're, you know, he's he's very divisive in, in all the rest of it. Um, he wants why should why should those two guys have to make character decisions for some something that's not there? So that was his that was his starting point, uh, and he'd seen an, an audition tape that I'd done and and, uh, and 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 kind of liked it, and we talked about it, and but it was really unformed. So back to your point about what was I doing down there for all that time <laughs> was was. You know, we were we were you know apart from shooting the scenes, uh, I had to go back and shoot everything again because we shot everything on location. Um, my first scene in, on, on Lord of the Rings was 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 literally the, one of the penultimate scenes in the in the Return of the King, which was climbing, which was at, attacking Frodo and Sam. It was <laughs> my first day, in fact, on Lord of the Rings back in two thousand and two thousand was was j- jumping on top of Frodo and Sam. Um, as they were climbing up to, to Mordor. It was seen 652 out Jeez. of whatever it was. Jesus. And it was, I, was, I was like six and a half thousand foot up a mountain in, in a lycra bodysuit, not really knowing what I was doing. And, <laughs> and the crew really not knowing what I was doing. And, 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 and Peter looking at me giggling and uh, <laughs> laughing away. And, uh, and, and, and from there, it was sort of like, well, we're going to use this thing called motion capture, and, but you're going to act. So they, I was filmed on set with the guys and then I had to go back and repeat some of the scenes and do Gollum's physicality using motion capture and then that all sort of evolved over the course of going from just body capture with filming my facial performance and the animators copying that uh, to facial you know facial capture in King Kong and um, you know putting markers on and that driving the digital mask and then through to you know to Tintin and then you know, and it just sort of went on, and this this life, this you know, second family down in New Zealand, really that I had, and kids coming down and going to school there, and everything, you know, it just all sort of took over. Um, so, so this does actually this this year really with the coming to the end of of, of Middle Earth for the last of the Hobbit, it is it is it truly is the end of a, a big big long chapter. Not that I won't go back to New Zealand because I've got so many. Friends and workmates and projects and things that will probably continue. You kind of lived there for twelve years. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So, so so although it's you know, uh, and and very, very, very you know, close to to Peter and Fran and Philippa and all you know, the the big, big sort of central family. It's um, it actually the world just does seem a tiny place. And quite frankly, you know, it's a twenty-eight hour flight to New Zealand and. 
going anywhere else, even coming, you know, like I flew in last night, I got in, uh, you know, from London last night, a 12-hour flight to London is nothing. It's just <laughs> nothing. Did you say 28 from England to yeah, New Zealand? Yeah, to yes. New Zealand. Is it, so do you stop in LA and then... Stop in LA or, or you can go via Singapore and, you know, then you fly to to to, uh, to Auckland and then you fly down to Wellington. So I can't even fucking, like, the, yeah. I mean, I've been, I've been to Australia, I've been to Europe, I, you know, but... Still, just the idea that you could be on a plane for 12 hours. You could watch six movies and be like, well, uh, 16 more hours to go. Like, that it's, it, that, I mean, I'm sure eventually when you get there, you might go, okay, okay, okay. But even, yeah. but just along the way, what do you do on, what do you do when you're traveling for 28 hours? What did you, what was your routine? Well, I, I, I'm a hopeless sleeper. On planes, and I wish I, I wish I could master that, but I'm not. I just can't. So I, I read a lot, I watch a lot of movies, and you know, work on scripts and work on what I'm doing. So, so it is. A, it is I do love the period, the concentration of knowing that you can't go anywhere except sit there and, and do what you've got to do. I do actually. Get I mean, lot, I like that for like five or six hours. Yeah, I can't handle <laughs> the twelve hour flight was the longest I've ever been on, and I went crazy. I went crazy, <laughs> and then on the way back, I was like, I can't. I gotta find a pill. I gotta get. I can't. I can't. I just. I don't want to be aware of anything. <laughs> I just like you. I like the idea of you scrambling on all fours on the plane, just looking just, for a pill yeah, to like was this one, okay. this one. Yeah. But you know, with 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 motion capture though, it, it, you know, I think when when we got Jurassic Park, I think people were like, ah, the new age of CGs, like it's gonna be. And then it's still, you know. I mean, I, I think Jurassic Park still holds up in oh, terms of yeah, like, but, but but well, Ray Harryhausen's movies still hold up, you know. Of course, yeah, yeah. Yeah. but I mean, Stop just motion. in terms of the vi- of the visuals, like, oh, it looks really amazing. But then it didn't. It still was a long time. I think Gollum was the first time where people were like, "Oh shit, this character is is generated, but it's actually emo- it, it didn't have that sort of." You know the kind of Polar Express look where everything's like, hi, everybody, everybody, you know, because yeah. there's just too much wax figures. There's, yeah, there's too much musculature in the face to capture the emotions. So what would when you when you first because obviously you're putting a lot of trust into Peter Jackson. You go, well, I, I guess you know what you're doing. You seem good, but then what was the experience the first time that you actually saw it, and how long before you were able to? I mean, that that was the. the the experience of working on Lord of the Rings was, I mean, you knew you were in amazingly safe, a safe pair of hands. And heaven, I'd seen Heavenly Creatures. I knew Peter's work. I loved Peter's work. I, I thought, I actually thought, God, you know, even before I had any, there was any, I was anywhere near hoping to be a director. I just thought if I ever I could direct a movie, I'd, I'd want to direct it like that guy. Because, <laughs> because he, the way he supports performance with camera, it's so beautiful. And the choreography of camera to, you know, to, you know, with emotion and the way, it, just the way that he brings it all together is, is I I think remarkable and uh, so I knew it was and it was it obviously it, it did kind of feel like a special shoot down there because although it was huge and everyone there was great anticipation about the movies it, it bizarrely felt them and there were seven units shooting on those films you know it felt like seven independent movies all that happened to have you know uh, you know that Pitt was being overseen by Pete it, it was it had a real intimacy about it. I had this experience of uh, a very unique actor's experience of 
you know, my fellow, the people that I hung out with most, I mean, Gollum's a solitary character, but the people I hung out with most were animators and visual effects artists and, and the mocap team. And um, on the whole, I spent more time with them over the course of uh, the, the three years than, than other cast members because, you know, they were the fellowship and they all hung out with each other. And, you know, and I was just Gollum on my own, Golluming around. And, uh, <laughs> but, but the people that I really got to know were these incredibly talented, you know, folk who were creating the character alongside me and so so you know it, it was a i have a, yeah i started to straddle this very i suppose i don't think many actors would have had that opportunity to straddle those worlds actually and that and that sort of has just increased and increased and increased over the years um but but seeing Gollum, seeing the very first rendered shot of Gollum, there were two ama- amazing moments with Gollum in terms of seeing him. One, one was seeing the very very first rendered shot of Gollum, which I remember you know very very vividly seeing. It was in in, in the Two Towers is a shot where where um, Gollum has been where Frodo has led him to the Forbidden Pool and uh, and he's just about to be captured and Frodo knows he's going to be captured and, and Gollum's a little bit suspicious and turns around and looks looks back at him calls him and 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 I remember seeing it and uh, fully fully rendered and it was the yeah the very first shot it was everything that we'd worked towards all the physical work all the all the the psychology of the role all the talk all the working on set all of the motion capture everything you know, and got, I'd spend a lot of time going around and talking about and sort of referring for, for, for the animators after the fact and, 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 and enduring this long sense of, you know, never finishing a scene on the day, which is the, mo- the toughest thing as an actor, actually. Not, you know, you're not nailing the scene in, in one day. And, and sometimes it being months and months and months or even years before seeing the, the final shot. Uh, but seeing that was, was kind of like, God, it was all, it's all come together. It really has all come together because I know exactly what that character's thinking and feeling. It truly represents what I played on, uh, play, uh, played as an actor. Um, and it's manifested and amplified through this avatar. And, uh, and so that was really gratifying. And then the second and most amazing thing to have a moment for me was, was when we opened it and at the, opened the two towers in New York at the Ziegfeld Theatre. And when the, when the Gollum Smeagol scene came up and, and just feeling the audience literally... <laughs> it was an extraordinary thing. I mean, it just just feeling an entire audience just sort of lean lean forward and just sort of creaking a seat as, the, as <laughs> people were kind of like... It was... I can't really explain it, but it was just phenomenal. I think it would have been great if just as a joke, Peter Jackson would like, what do you think of this? And just put in purposely awful footage of this like hand-drawn golem. <laughs> like, what have yeah. I yeah. been working on all this time? <laughs> now nah, we're just fucking with it. But so how did you... How did you? Because uh, well, at the panel, um, Peter Jackson seemed like such a sweet guy, oh. just like such a warm, sweet guy. Yeah. But how did the conversations progress? Where you said, "Hey, I would like to direct second unit on this. I would like to now sort of tandem direct with you, Peter Jackson." No, it didn't happen like that. It, 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 Pete, because um, of course, you know, during the course of uh, Lord of the Rings. Uh, it became a life down in New Zealand for everybody, and people were doing other things, making short films. And I was, I, I'd, um, I'd gone and come back to the UK, and I'd made my first short film, and and and, and Peter had offered advice and being very supportive. And uh, you know, there was a real sense of you know, Sean Aston made a short film there with uh, with, with half of the cast in it playing different roles in fact and some of the crew playing roles. And I mean, it was just it was it was very yeah, it was a really cool creative time. Um, but Pete knew that I was going to. Uh, I, I, I sort of wanted to head that way, and uh, 
and and um, and so so the years had passed, and I played you know Kong, and we'd done Tintin, and then I'd gone off and done Caesar, and then he knew that I was thinking about putting the Imaginarium together, and he and and I had this one particular project, a, a, a mountaineering project actually, about a, a, the. The, one of the f- world's first Victorian female mountaineers. Great stories, sort of based around that time in the 1850s in the Alps. And uh, and Pete knew I had this idea for a story, and and I, I sort of talked about it. And he, so so then I went off to start, and I started the Imaginarium up, and it took ages to get the funding to put the Imaginarium together. The very very day that we that the funders came through for the Imaginarium, and they said, you know, we we we'd got this quite large amount of money, investors. And they said, look, you're not going to go... If we give you this money, you, you know, to set the Imaginarium up, you're not going to go anywhere, are you? You've got, you're going to stay here. And I went, of course, this is what I've been building towards for all these years. <laughs> the very evening that that happened, I got an email from Peter saying, will you come and direct the second unit on The Hobbit? <laughs> and so from, so, got, so from playing Gollum, reprising Gollum for it would have, would have been two weeks, it was then going back for a year and a half. Oh, my God. So, uh, how'd you break I, that news? Oh my god! I mean, uh, it was <laughs> For the company. well. I, I remember. I mean, was, my wife Lorraine was was on the phone to someone, and when I got this email, and I, I was literally rolling about on the carpet. I was like, I was in a ball, I was, the, the knot in my stomach was so tight that I was like, rolling about on the floor. Can you imagine the luxury problem? Yeah. It's funny. No, no. It's so funny because you you know like. You, you go, oh my, it, that something that could be that amazing is so stressful. You're like, well, do I get to build my dream company or go direct second unit? I, I know, yeah. I know. Hey, nice problem to have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it was just like, it was so overwhelming because it, you know. But anyway, Pete said, look, let, come down and talk about it. We'll see if we can, we'll, we'll make this work. We'll make it work. And, and you know, he, that's exactly the sort of person he is. He is... He and Fran and, uh, and Philippa, they are the most collaborative sort of... Um, compassionate brilliant filmmakers but they're also great team leaders they're also you know whilst Pete's make, making The Hobbit he's also Pete and Fran are putting together West of Memphis which was the yeah. you, you know the film about you know and, and helping Damien to, to, to get off death row mm-hmm. and freeing him and him coming to New Zealand and visiting us and you know I mean there's no bounds to, to Pete's to Pete's capacity really and uh, I really respond to that and he's such a a, a great mentor and uh, a great, just a great human being because he he values everyone's opinion. He leads a team because people want to give him one hundred and fifty percent because he 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 values what people have to offer and you feel and there's nothing like it. The feeling that you know truly valued artistically, you know, and getting people to do that. Um, so so I you know he's meant he significantly he's been you know he, he and that team have been. A hugely, hugely important part of my life, and um, and and the, and the fact that in the middle of putting together the Hobbit and making two, which was then going to be three movies, he he thoughtfully says, "Would you? Well, you know, this will be good for Andy, or this will, you know, you, would you like to come down and do this? This will, this will, you know." And and I think also he he trusted the fact that I would be able to because because on those films, it's not like directing second unit in the traditional sense where it's. You know, you're just doing picking up bits and pieces. These are big, long. You know, you're going to be working with principal cast. We're shooting on location. We're shooting sometimes in, in taking on scenes which haven't been finished. So I think he wanted a continuity of performance, and and because he knew that I could direct actors and and knew how to work with actors, that that would that would be a good um, uh, yeah yeah that would be a great source of continuity for the 
you know, because you've got you've got you've got thirteen dwarves, you've got Gandalf, you've got all, all of those guys, and all the other characters too. And then the dwarves have got scale doubles, then they've got stunt doubles. You've got thirteen scale doubles, thirteen stunt doubles. That you know, and they're switching Jeez. between main unit and second unit. And so there has to be someone who can kind of keep an eye on that on the performance aspect of it all. Otherwise, there's you know, it's all going to you know fall apart. Um, so, so that, so I think that's what he he reckoned I would be able to bring to the table. But what I could learn, he just said, you're going to learn such an enormous amount, and I did. I mean, I was working with a huge crew for two hundred days, Jeez. you know, shooting three D, shooting. Uh, you know, I spent twelve weeks in a helicopter, pretty much. You know, for, for part of it on location, it was it was the most phenomenal experience. So, what is it that I mean? It, when you sort of look at your life and like you know these are the things that I want to do and these are the things that I want to experience, what is it? Is is there is there kind of a a, a mantra or a guiding principle that comes to mind? Like how do you you know is it always experiment or always grow or always try? Like what is because you you have done so many things and I don't know if you could have predicted where your career was going to go. But what do you when you look at all of it and spending time in the helicopter like? What are you going forward? Like, what is your important kind of guiding principle? Um, I think it, go, it goes back to this sense of, you know, it goes back really to, to the sense of, you know, acting or, or whatever you're doing. You're, the responsibility of the storyteller or the artist to share, to share their, what they've researched. And, you know, that still is very much my guiding thing. It's that you're providing a service. You're a storyteller. And storytellers like shamans around a campfire, we're providing a service, you know. We're and, and because we're lucky enough to have, be in the position to do it, then then we do it to the best of your ability. But also, the other thing is, the other mantra really is there. You know, there are two types of people in life: drains and radiators. You know, and, uh, and, uh, <laughs> and I've never heard that. yeah, uh, and and and. and um, you know, you know. I just want to continue, to, hopefully, to 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 not be a drain. <laughs> God but, damn it! That's such a great way to say that because also, if you put a drain next to a radiator, yeah. it starts to turn into a drain. Oh yeah, for sure. Right? No, Don't you absolutely, think? Don't yeah. you think drains usually win? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely, and <laughs> especially on these big. You know, look. These big behemoth productions or these big, you know, you set, you're literally, it's like setting off on a big oil tanker with a crew for mm-hmm. an unending journey and, and you've got to get on and, and you, you, you know, you find, you find very quickly who the drains and the radiators are. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but obviously in a crew that, I mean, like when you're working with that many, when there are that many moving parts, there are going just by virtue of of probability there's a fair number of drains I, would I mean there just have to be be just in that with those with those numbers so there are very few drains in New Zealand oh actually. good very few good it's a very low percentage of, of uh, you know drain ducting down, down in how do you know when it's how do you know when you can try to turn a drain into a radiator when you go this is just a fucking drain like, <laughs> at, what, at what point do you kind of go alright go be a drain I'm going to go over here because I don't have time yeah there's, there is that there is that um, I mean we, you know just Sad to say that we've got a, we've got a higher percentage of drains in the UK, <laughs> you know, or not drains, but but sort of like you know stop you know stop plugs, you know, just sure. sort of like you know it, it's, it's you get by and you just you do as much as required, you know. Um, that that's the that's the ambition. That's what that's what that's what the, the you know the, the Imaginarium. Even even running a small ship like that, and uh, you know we've got a great team, and they are all cherry picked, and and. Uh, 
and it is because they're believers. You know, you just need believers around you right. to, to make things happen. That's it. If you've got believers around you, then then you can then you can you can get places. I saw a great quote. Or I heard a great quote once that was uh, it was a, you know it was a it was a success quote, and it was. Um, uh, uh, what are you willing to do after you do everything that is required to do? <laughs> yeah, like, right. so just hearing you sort of say like, oh, they just sort of get by and it's like they do what they're required to do. Like, what are you, what are you willing to do beyond that to do something great? But I guess ultimately you're not going to do that unless you're really passionate about what you're doing. Yeah. So do you think maybe it's a, do you think it's a passion problem? Do you think that a lack of passion for something creates a drain? I think I think you know it, you can always inspire people you can always you know because, like film crews or, or, or you know not even film crews any any group of people can be inspired by it does all feel it does definitely all filter down from from leadership and and you you know you you, you can lead by example you can lead by uh, by valuing by valuing people 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 put it in if if they feel valued that's it that's really it I think um so just a couple philosophical I know well I'm so no it just you know uh, uh, when I you know when I meet a radiator now that I know that word I just want to pick your brain apart because a lot of these podcasts are me also just trying to figure things out too and so it's really fun for me to talk and understand like you know how does Andy go from this kid who you know one day just discovers acting to the Imagineerium and, and, and helping to develop motion capture and directing and writing and music and, you know, and like, and just kind of keeping that water level rising, you know? I mean, I, I was, I wouldn't say I was, ne- you know, my mum, my mum was very, my mum was very creative. My my sisters were all creative, but um, when I said I wanted to go into acting, they were like, really? You've got to be kidding. <laughs> you, 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 you know, the, the silence on the end of the phone was, 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 Terrifying. Were they afraid you were going to have the stable life that being a graphic artist? Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, actually, I, do, I already had that. You know, that kind of. Yeah. <laughs> I already had that one on that. But but then being an actor was was, was yeah a million times worse. A million times worse. And they, just just because of the precariousness of the and, and actually why you know. But um, I don't know. How, I mean, I don't know how the shifts happen from one thing into another really. But they but because. Uh, you know, uh, you know where I'm at at the moment. People are sort of starting to go. Oh, so well, you're not going to act anymore? Then and I'm going. No, of course I'm going to act. I mean, I'm, I'm <laughs> well, you know, people can only people can only wrap their brains around you doing one thing. That's the thing. People go, oh, so you're just going to do this? Like, no, no, I'm going to do all of these I, things. I want yeah. to continue to. Yeah, it's I do. okay to I do, do that. I, I mean, I've recently discovered that I really love. And I haven't done it for a long time, but I used to take pictures. You know, for photography, I used to love doing that. And uh, and I've recently discovered the passion for it again. And it's it's like. It's just that time thing. It's just, it's just, it's just that time thing. It's, a, it's the one thing that kind of really does. And I don't sleep. I am a total insomniac. I now discover. Really? Yeah. How I many hours of sleep a night do you think? I get about four hours Oof. max, max. If, and but do you if, feel maybe that's just what you require, or do you feel like you need more sleep, but you just I can't get it? I probably do need more sleep because on the other end of the scale, I'm probably a narcoleptic. So <laughs> I've sort of got this uh, insomnia, narcolepsy thing going on where mm. I can fall asleep very easily too uh, during the day. Uh, they're probably linked in some way. Um, <laughs> I know that uh, you also uh, you you did a movie with David Tennant, who I love. Oh yeah, I love David yeah, Tennant. He's great, Dave. But it also makes me feel like. I think you could have been a good doctor. I think you could have been a good or a master. You could have been a good doctor or a master. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, you know, maybe 
um, yeah, I, I mean, you know, I, I, he, I mean, he was great actually. Dave was, Dave was brilliant. A great doctor, really good doctor. No, I mean, that's a, that's a fantastic world, a great, great world. Um, yeah, well, who knows? There's maybe yeah. still time. You're also great, uh, Burke and Hare. Is, uh, Have you fantastic. seen Burke and Hare? Yeah, yeah, that yeah. That was John Landis. John Landis. Yeah, yeah, John Landis. Hadn't directed a movie in 12 years. I know, yeah. I know. Yeah, it was, it, was, uh, it was awesome to... I think it was the first, like, after being aware of you, like, the first movie that came out where it was like, it was like, oh, it's you. It's like you, you're right. a star in it, like, you know. Right, and, right, like, right. so that was, I was really excited about it. And I, it, was, it was great. It was a great performance. Really oh, funny thanks. and dark and awesome. Oh, yeah. Uh, I love doing that. And Simon, because Simon, Simon's a kind of good friend. We got to know each other over the years. And he's brilliant. I mean, yeah. Simon's awesome. And then, uh, uh, episode seven of of what? <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> episode oh, episode seven. That episode seven. There's only one episode seven. <laughs> People don't go. Oh, police academy. <laughs> <laughs> that mission to Miami. Yeah. Of course. If I say anything about it, I will have to shoot you all yes I know but it'll be worth it in that whoa, last whoa, minute whoa, whoa. What? don't clue me in on this it's, no Jonah uh, Jonah's gotta go first shot. no Jonah has to go first I don't know much about no Star Treks it's not Star Treks it's uh, the other one it's the other one Battlestar Galactitrax Battlestar Wars <laughs> I mean I'll have to do a Jedi mind meld on you damn it <laughs> amazing another amazing mashup um, but you know it, it's your comfort level on these types of projects now. I mean, like these are the biggest projects. These are the biggest thing. That I think that's what's sort of interesting too is that you have you work on the biggest things, and then you also also kind of take time to work on some of the smallest things because you just enjoy doing that stuff at the same time. I mean, I, I don't. I mean, I have been so lucky. I don't. Yeah, I wouldn't have imagined in a million years I would have ended up working on. You know, projects of this scale. It, 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 for a long time, uh, you know, starting off in theatre and then starting off in independent British movies, and you know, wanting to make small films and, and all of that. Yeah, I, you know, it was a huge turning point. Lord of the Rings, huge, 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 um, and it opened up. And I think, I think my expectations were that. You know, I was a huge fan of Mike Lee and Ken Loach and, and, the, and those British filmmakers, which were all about, you know, quite political, again, quite political filmmakers. And I think the big transition for me was realising that you could actually say something political in, in, a, in a blockbuster movie. And, and actually, the Planet of the Apes movies are, uh, are a good example. They are What I've loved about these films, and working with Rupert Wyatt and, and, and Matt Reeves on this one, is that you can actually say something uh, about the human condition that that has relative importance to a huge audience and that's that's that really that, that that's why i think um i don't know i think it's sort of come to me and sort of well sort of taken me and and pulled me into this into this world i mean even with a character like gollum you know uh, really the themes of lord of the rings and and sort of politically what was going on you know 911 around the times of the two towers being made the, these sort of zeitgeist these sort of moments of you know, this Dawn of the Planet of the Apes is is very much about about um, uh, empathy and and the the, the the kind of the comparing empathy and fundamentalism and and really that that's what that's what Caesar is is all about. You know, what do you fight? How far do you fight for what you believe is right and um, and what you hold true to yourself? And 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 at what point does that become? Exclusive and, and fascistic, and uh, you know, and really, it's all this. This Dawn of the Planet of the Apes is all about prejudice and uh, 
and, and versus prejudice versus empathy and, and, and trying to understand the other and not being speciesist and and they're, and they're huge themes and of course all of these but all of the you know the good films the you know the good Star Trek movies that JJ's made yeah. the, you know that they all do work on all of those levels and I think that's something I wasn't prepared for or didn't really think really existed even because I, I used to love Planet of the Apes when I was a kid but I wasn't necessarily aware of the where uh, the the social commentary. Well, I don't. I mean, I I, don't, I didn't consider myself a species, but I do think that if a gorilla walked into this room, I would ask it to leave. <laughs> Chris, what? I would ask. <laughs> I would ask. Last two questions. It's, it's very interesting. Let me just add to that. We did, we did a Q and A a couple of weeks ago in London, and uh, there was a primatologist that came, and he, we we were showing clips of of Dawn, and uh, he is campaigning for ape. Rights, so the equivalent of human rights for apes, so that they, you know, that that um, if if an ape is killed by by by, you know, it's considered it is considered murder, and he's he's actively well, he's asked me to be an ambassador for for it, which is a very very interesting. I mean, it is, you know, it's a very very interesting wow. argument. Um, yeah. you know, given that they're ninety seven percent genetically the same as us, so yeah. again, it's 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 very much uh, well, it's very much in the mix of what we're talking about in terms of in terms of these movies. Anyway, sorry, they're I'm going trying. to take us over, though, guys. I mean, this movie is a roadmap for what's going to happen. We are going to be crushed at the is hands. That's such a bad thing. <laughs> yeah. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying it's a roadmap. <laughs> We've had a good time at the wheel. We had a good run. Yeah. Um, but uh, so, last two questions: what, what, what are you are you working on a directing? Pro- you said you were into directing. Like there was that you were heavily into directing at the moment. So, what are you? What are you? Do- last two questions: What are you directing uh, that we're working on, and what's the imaginary up to at the moment? Well, they're both interlinked, those uh, two, two questions, because we are, at the moment, I've, well, we, we have been, over the course of the last um, year and a half, two years, uh, evolving our, our methodologies for creating Animal Farm, for, for you know, George Orwell's Animal Farm, which oh, I'm, wow. I'm going to direct, uh, using performance capture technologies for all the actors to play all the characters. And, and, then, and, and then about six months ago, I was approached by, by Warners to, um, to direct Jungle Book. Mm-hmm. So that that has sort of switched places. We're now currently working on that, and um, it's you know it's really really exciting. It's a fantastic script, absolutely wonderful script by Callie Clovis. It's being produced by Steve Clovis, and uh, it's uh, yeah, it's really dark. It's very so. This is different than because di- Disney's doing a version Disney's too. Disney's doing yeah. a version. It's they're, they're doing John Favreau's doing Favreau's a, doing a version, it, yeah. uh, which I think is very much honouring the 1968 Disney. And you're doing more of the version. Kipling version. And we're doing. A, much much darker um yeah very very much more aligned to rudyard kipling it's it's um yeah it's and it's a very cool script really really cool script well i cannot thank you enough for being here and it was lovely to get to it was really great to get to chat with you and hopefully i'll see you you at uh, are you gonna be at comic-con this year uh quite possibly all right but then maybe not do you know? <laughs> but, but possibly. It's still a ways away. Anything could happen at but this point. But thank you. No, I've had a great time. Oh, Gosh, good. Yeah, it's yeah, been lovely. I wasn't expecting this at all. No. What are you, well, because I'm sure you're probably doing a shit ton of junket stuff. And yeah. It's just like, um, if you were an ape, what type of ape would you be? Um, if Caesar were president, what would he say? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's very good. God, I wish the junket questions were like that. Yeah. <laughs> if only. Yeah. Uh, but it's good to see you, Andy. Thank you so thank much you. for being here. Thanks very much. Cheers. Enjoy your burrito, everyone. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. Cheers. Uh, Oh, the big question is: Did we earn the signing of the guest? Oh, uh, well, absolutely. Did Uh, I? Did I earn it? More to the point. Yes, of course. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito.
Behind every successful business is a story, and some of them might surprise you. Like how Chobani's first yogurt factory was discovered on a piece of junk mail, or how the founder of the multi-million dollar cosmetics brand Drunk Elephant was told by everyone, including her own mother, that the name sounded like a dive bar. I'm Guy Raz, and on my show How I Built This, I talk to founders behind the world's biggest companies and brands to learn the real stories of how they built them. In each episode, you'll hear entrepreneurs share moments of doubt and failure and talk about how they were able to overcome them on their way to the top. How I Built This is like a masterclass in innovation and creativity, a how-to guide for navigating life's challenges from the people who've done it all. Follow How I Built This on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to How I Built This early and ad-free right now on Wondery Plus.